Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning, church. Wow. Good morning to those of you joining us online today. So glad that you're with us. And by the way, you sound really good today. Really, really, really good. Thank you. Wow. Can you believe that tomorrow is 2024? 2024. It's been the, by far the fastest year of my life. They can say it doesn't go faster. I promise you it does. It does. But it's also been one of the most exciting years in the history of this church. One of the most exciting years in the history of this church. But here's what I know. There's so much more to do. There is so much more to do. And I pray that God will not only energize us today, but excite us for what's coming. So let's pray before we get into God's word today. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for this day. God, we thank you so much, God, that we're here. There is no better place to be to get ready to start a new year than in your house and with your praise and with your word. So please, God, today, do what only you can do, God. I beg you, get me out of the way. Speak through me. And Lord, may your word May it cut deep today. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let me start with a question today. I got a little ringing there. Are we okay? All right, all right. Let me start with a question today. Do you believe this? Do you believe that the majority of the people are truly sorry and they're begging for God's forgiveness when maybe they've gotten caught doing something or saying something they should have? Or are they more sorry about the fact that they got caught? And in your mind, is there a difference in these two ways of thinking or does it really even matter? There's a slogan in our world today that would say that it's really only wrong if we get caught. And I believe that this type of behavior starts very, very early. Because I remember back in elementary school, as long as the teacher was in the room, the behavior was pretty good, right? But as soon as they took a step outside that door, oh man, watch out. Watch out. Spitballs back in my day were flying. Just incredible. It was almost as if all the rules had suddenly changed because no one was watching us. So we were free to somehow do whatever we wanted to do. And then in our high school years, right, we started to get even more freedom, especially when that incredible driver's license came. Because now there was even more space between us and our parents, giving us the ability to do things that they may never see or know about. And then it continues as we get older. 
I remember my first day in college and our professor came in and, and he said this. He said, you know, I don't really care if you come or not. It's your choice. I'm not taking role. Well, guys, that totally freaked me out. Because I was like, you don't have to have a note from your parents? I mean, that's how naive I was, you know? But, but I think that, that, you know, what happens, guys, if we're not very, very careful? You see, we get sucked into this mentality. We get sucked into this mentality that says, out of sight, out of mind. Or if no one's watching, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. And then on top of that, if our definition of who God is, is weak. In other words, if you and I don't see him for who the Bible says he is, we can even convince ourselves that we can somehow fool him as well or hide from him. So for the many, so for many, by the time we get into adulthood, we've gotten really, really good at hiding things or not getting caught. Or have we? If you have your Bibles or your devices with you, we're going to be looking at two verses today. We're going to be looking at two verses in the book of Hebrews that I think will challenge all of us, no matter where you're at in your journey with Christ. It's Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 13. And forgive me for my sinuses today. It says this, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to who we must give an account. And these two verses, these two verses in Hebrews are the classic text on the power of God's word. And we start by learning that God's word is alive and active because it endures forever. Psalms 119.89 says this, Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Now, I want you to think about something, right? I want you to think this Bible right here, right? This Bible is the living, breathing word of God Almighty. And you and I live in a nation where we're free to study it, to meditate on it, and to, and, to, and to understand its meanings. Every answer to how God desires for us to live is found right here. Guys, this contains the wisdom and the love of the creator of the universe. And somehow, we still go elsewhere for answers. And not only is God's word alive, but we're told it's active, meaning not only does it live, but it's working. Notice it doesn't say was alive or was active, but is. So the word of God is alive because our God is a living God. And it's active because it's life-changing and dynamic. It's productive and powerful. God's word is both energizing and effective. So it's never static or idle in the lives of genuine believers. And then we know that God's word is fully capable of accomplishing its purpose. In Isaiah 55, 11, God says this. 
He says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire. The next thing that we see is that this word is even sharper than a double-edged sword. Well, a double-edged sword is a sword is one that is sharp on both sides. You know, the, um, compared to a common sword where you have the dull side and, the, dark and the, the sharp side, right? But with this double-edged sword, what it does, it gives you the ability to go in and cut and pull out and cut. And, and, and what we see here is that God's word is even sharper than that. That God's word is even sharper and it can cut straight to our hearts, revealing both who we are and who we are not. We're told that God's word penetrates. It penetrates to the core of our moral, of our moral and spiritual life, discerning exactly what's in us, both good and evil. And, and here, it's this picture of like a doctor going into our bodies, doing exploratory surgery, right? They go in and they're, they're looking for anything that shouldn't be there or maybe should be there. And, and, and because of the fact that they have these specialized instruments and machines, they're able to see what the rest of us cannot. And that's exactly what God does, as his word cuts straight through our bodies, revealing everything that's there. The next thing we see is this. It says this. It says, God's word judges the thoughts and the attitude of our heart. In other words, every thought that you and I have, you and I have will be laid bare before the eyes of God. How about that? But it doesn't stop there. Not only every thought, but even why we thought it or what our motive was. So why we do what we do will one day be exposed as well. And it keeps going. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Again, he sees and examines everything. Nothing escapes his sight ever. You see, that's how well God knows us. And somehow, he still loves us. Proverbs 5, 21 says this. For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. Isaiah 29, 15 says this. It says, woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in the dark and think, who sees us? Who will know? Somehow, many still believe they can fool an all-knowing God, even though his word repeats over and over again that nothing escapes his sight. Yes, these, these verses are so important and so impactful because it's here where we see and it's here where I pray today we feel the true power of all that God's word has the ability to do. And because of that, it's here where we understand our incredible need for a Savior. You see, this is where we find God exposing who we truly are. Deep, deep down inside where no one else can see. And, and as we believe this, as we believe this and allow God to work, now, now, finally, we can quit running. Finally, now we can quit justifying what we do. And finally, now we can quit trying to hide things from the one true God. Because then and only then we can allow this same word to shape us and grow us 
into his glory. Is it a little scary that he knows me that well? Yes. Yeah, yes it is. But what I hope we can see this morning is the freedom that this brings. Because you see, now honesty replaces excuses. Now our prayers become so real and so intimate, and now we can worship God with the awe and the respect he deserves. Luke 12, verses 2 through 3 says this. It says, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be made known. Still think you can fool him. And then the last part of verse 13 says this. It says this, it says, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him, speaking of God, to whom we must give an account. Now here, the Bible is very clear that this accounting to God for the way we live that verse 13 is talking about, it comes in the form of two separate judgments that will take place. The first one we look at is called the great white throne judgment. And the great here refers to Jesus because he's the one and only who has ever been entirely holy, but at the same time been entirely human, fully God, fully man. And because of this, we're told that he will be the one to judge mankind. And the white in here is in reference to the purity of Jesus. Romans 2.16, Paul says it this way. He says, this will take place when God judges people's secrets through Jesus. Now, most commentaries agree that this judgment, this judgment will take place after the 1,000-year period of peace that we call the millennium. So we're told there will be one final rebellion against God, and once that is crushed, and, and he makes it that easy because he's God. Once that is crushed, there will be a final judgment of the wicked or all who have rejected Jesus as Savior and Lord. It tells us also included in this judgment will be Satan and all the other fallen angels who followed him. And it is also after this judgment that Christ and all who are his will forever be separated from Satan and all who, all who are his. I, I want you to listen to how John describes this judgment. And, and I wanted to use so much scripture today because this isn't Mark. This is the Bible. And in Revelation, guys, Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, a little long, so hang with me. It says this. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, speaking of Jesus, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now the dead that John speaks of here are those who died 
without accepting Christ as their Savior and Lord. And what we see here is this included the rich and the poor. It included the famous and the obscure. It included the powerful and the weak. So there was no regard to our status on earth. And everyone who was summoned to the great white throne had one thing in common. No hope. No hope. Because at this judgment, I need you to hear this. At this judgment, there will be no second chance. And there is no other appeal. The lake of fire is the final destination for all of eternity. Now, guys, please, please hear this this morning. I was called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just the good, but the truth. But the truth, all of it. And guys, this is what the word of God says. I need you to understand that this is real. Hell is not only real, but it's the worst place ever created because there is no presence of God. In hell, there is nothing but evil. And you need to know that anyone rejecting or not accepting Christ will be sent there forever. That's just the truth. Do do you see why this is the most important decision you and I will ever make in our lives? Can you understand that? Do you see what's at stake, the implications that are here? Now, guys, please understand, this is not meant to be a scare tactic. I'm not trying to do that to you. It's an attempt to share God's word so clearly that you may know that without Christ, that this is your eternal future. I need you to understand that and know that today. And I, I hope that you can see and understand that unlike this world, you and I can never fool or hide anything from God because he sees and knows everything. Let me ask you this. What is it today? What could this world possibly offer that is so enticing and so great that that we would choose this for our future? What is it? Please hear this truth in love and let's let God's word cut today deeply and let's let it penetrate into our hearts. And know that there is an answer. Jeremiah 16, 7 says this. It says, for my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. But we said there were two judgments, right? Well, the second one is called the judgment seat of Christ, okay? The judgment seat of Christ, also known as the Bema seat. And this judgment will take place immediately following the rapture of the church. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul describes it this way. He said, for we, speaking of believers, right? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done in the body whether good or bad. Matthew 16, 27 describes it this way. It says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. 
Now, I need you to hear this. This is not a judgment to determine who will enter heaven, okay? Because this, all who enter this judgment will possess the privileges and the honors of the children of God. Because only believers go through this. But this judgment is to reward those who, after being forgiven and equipped by Christ, then lived in a way that glorified God. So what we see is the, the rewards will be proportionate to what we did and how we lived because of all that's been done for us. And these rewards are also referred to as crowns. 2 Corinthians 4.2 says this, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So there's an expectation that we are to grow and live in a way that is different from this world's standard. In Luke 19, Jesus starts by he's sharing this parable about the talents. You may remember that. And he's talking about the talents and, and how people will be responsible for what they did with what they were given. And, and, and that was the main point, is that, that you and I would be accountable for that. And, and he talks about one who, who came in and he doubled what was given to him. And he said this, well done, good and faithful, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. So what we see is this judgment is a time of examination and reward. For some, the only reward there, which is still great, don't get me wrong, will be eternal life in heaven. But for others... Who have tried to maximize what Christ has given us it tells us that rewards will be given and, and I understand I know that there are people here today that say hey I just want to get in Mark I just want to get in that's enough but my hope is this my hope is that you and I want to experience all that God wants to give us that you and I want to experience everything that God wants for us and that you and I see that this is the greatest opportunity to share with others. Because you have to understand, this is forever. This is forever. And, and, and what I mean by that is once our life here on earth is over, there are no other chances for crowns. So yes, it matters for eternity how I live for God today. Because our eternal reward will determine our eternal position in God's kingdom. And I know the first thing someone's going to say, so Mark, you're telling me you were working our way to heaven now. No, 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 I am not. Only Jesus Christ can forgive our sins and give, and give eternal life. Only Jesus Christ can do this. This is about how well we take what Christ has done and we use it in a way that's glorifying God. Are we sharing with the lost the greatest news in the history of the world? Are we sharing with the lost by the way we live, by the way we love, by the way we treat others, and by the way we speak? Is the Christ in us coming out of us? Ephesians, Ephesians 2.10 says this. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to 
do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Guys, this is what you and I were created to do. This is what you and I were saved to do, to live differently and to point others to Jesus. The Apostle Paul certainly understood this. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy 4, 7. He says this. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He said, hey, I've taken everything that Jesus has given me, and I've tried to maximize it. I've tried to do what I was called to do. And he says this. Now, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award on me that day. And not only me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. As a believer, it matters how we live. I, I think that I was either in fourth or fifth grade, and I am about to tell on myself. Uh, I had badly failed a test at school. And, and my teacher told me that I needed to take it home to show it to my parents and to have them sign it and bring it back the next day. But you see, I made the decision that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so I'm sure you can tell the rest of this story. Um, I practiced really hard. And then I carefully wrote my mom's name on the top of my test because hers was easier. Now, I knew this was wrong. But you know why I did it? Because I thought I could get away with it. Well, that night, thank goodness, I couldn't sleep. I tossed and I turned for what seemed like hours. Worrying about what would happen if I got caught. And guys, the guilt I was feeling was making it even hard to breathe. No kidding. Finally, finally I got out of my bed. I woke my parents up. And I told them everything. Well, they were disappointed, right? But they told me this. They said, thank you for being honest. And that we're going to talk more about this tomorrow, which wasn't good. But <laughs> for now, they wanted me to go back and get some rest. Guys, when I went back to my room, I took one of the deepest breaths I've ever taken in my life. I took this deep breath and this deep sigh of relief. That, that, that came over me. I felt like the weight of the world had been taken off my shoulders. And I was able to fall asleep. Now, I tell you that story. Because in a room this full with this many people. I think there are some people today who have the weight of the world on their shoulders. I think there are some people today who are carrying guilt and shame. And here's what I want you to know. If I could feel that much relief by simply telling my parents, can you imagine what happens when we tell it to the all-loving, knowing God? Can you imagine the healing and the rest that comes from that? I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect, but there will be healing and rest and there will be a way out. Guys, here's what you need to know. He already knows anyway. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. 
Listen to what Jesus says about this. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. He's saying, come to me if you've got all of this on you and you've got this guilt and this shame and it's, it's blocking my relationship with you. And he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't it time to just let it go? Isn't it time to just let go of whatever it is and be so honest with God? Do you know there's nothing in this world that he wouldn't forgive you from? Let it go. And speaking to believers this morning, listen, some of you have got some things to let go as well because this is a journey and we keep growing and we keep going but there are things that get in our path sometimes and, and if we're not careful we don't think anybody sees them we don't think anybody knows and we hide them deep down inside and it hurts our relationship with our Savior let it go is there anything this morning that's keeping your relationship from Christ, with Christ from growing? Or let me ask you this. Can this be the year where we quit taking for granted all that's been done for us? And what I mean by that, guys, is, is, is may we quit checking the box. We've talked about it a lot. But, but every sin, past, present, and future, has been forgiven. That's what's happened for us. We've been given a new heart with God's Holy Spirit to guide and direct our paths. And we've been gifted in different areas so that we're able to do what God created us to do. Can we do this? Can we leave whatever needs to be left in the church today? Can we leave it here? And can we make 2024 a year of growth and love and obedience and commitment to our King and to our Lord? So here's what I'd like to do. With a new year on our doorstep, can we just, as a church, can we spend a couple minutes in prayer individually? And let me ask you this. If you need prayer, will you know this? Will you know that we'll have prayer partners in each corner in the back? And will you know that this altar is always open? But please, whatever it is, leave it here today. One thing I hope you can see is God already knows. We're not hiding anything from Him. And if we can ask for repentance now, it's not revealed later. I'm asking you today, if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, today's the day to know. And if you do, today is the day to grow. It's a journey. It never stops. So we can. God has called us to do what He wants us to do until the day He calls us home. And that's where we've got to be. Let's spend a couple minutes in prayer, and I'll bring us out of that in a couple minutes. Just please do business with God.
Heavenly Father God, oh Lord, today, today, Lord God, may we understand your word better. God, may we understand that it is active and alive. May we understand that if we'll let it, it'll penetrate our hearts and it will show us where we need to grow. And God, today, if there is anyone here, Lord, who has not asked Christ to be that Savior and Lord, today, may that happen. Today, today, if, if, if Christ is calling, please, please answer. May we walk out of here today better than we walked in, no matter who we are. And God, may 2024 be a great year, not only for this church, but for this community, because we're going to be a light in this community. God, we love you. We're so grateful for your son, Jesus. And we're grateful, God, that you love us even more. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.